It's not about how many hours you work. It's about what you do with that time. And it's a lesson that I have been learning and still am learning because I get Mm -hmm. caught in these cycles where I'm like, oh, I got to do this, this, and this. And then at a certain point, I realize, wait, that's not that important to the business. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I think at certain points, you have to build in those checkpoints and look at what you're doing to make sure that it's actually effective for the business. Hi, you're listening to Ready to Scale, the second season of That Really Happened. This season is focused on APS of real estate, asset, process, and strategy. Each guest on the show will reveal the assets they're investing and why they chose to do so. From multifamily to industrial, self-storage, mobile home parks, and more. Then, they'll uncover the processes, tools, and systems they've used to build multi-million dollar businesses. And finally, they'll uncover new, unique, and exciting strategies to invest in real estate, from co-working to buy and hold, fix and flips, co-living, and much, much more. Now let's get the show started. Hey guys, welcome to Ready to Scale. I'm Ellie Perlman, your host broadcasting from sunny California. When I'm not behind the mic, I buy multifamily properties with passive investors who partner with me on my deals. Ready to Scale is our new second season here where we focus on the business side of real estate, namely three key concepts that I like to call APS of real estate, assets, process, and strategy. By listening in, you will learn valuable business principles to help your real estate and business, whatever it may be, thrive and diversify. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute to rate us and don't forget to like and follow along with me on social media as well. You can find all social media links and the show notes on my website, ellieperlman.com. Now, our guest today is Annie Dickerson. So Annie is a co-founder and managing partner at Good Egg Investment, a company that helps people learn about and invest passively in real estate syndications. So Annie has co-syndicated over 400 million of real estate assets in multifamily, self-storage, and manufactured home parks. So previously, Annie worked in the field of instructional design and as a creative director. She established Gugig Investments in January and is now focusing on real estate investing full time. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Annie to the show. So Annie, I'm really glad to have you here today. If you can um, tell us a little bit more about yourself and then an unbelievable real estate story, if you have one, and I'm sure you do. Oh, yes. Oh, don't we all? (laughs) Well, first, thanks so much for having me, Ellie. I'm a big fan of your show and really excited to add some value to your listeners today. So as for me and my story, I never in a million years thought I would ever be a real estate investor. When I was growing up, my parents never even bought their own home. We rented All through my growing up years, we lived in apartments and it never occurred to me, never, that somebody owned those apartments that we lived in. (laughs) I just thought, we just pay the rent check. That's what we do every (laughs) month. I don't know where it goes. And, And so really, it wasn't until after college when my husband and I bought our first place We set out to buy a cool condo or a loft. You know, we were fresh out of college, young 20-somethings, and uh, we wanted to be hip. And our realtor, thankfully, stepped in and said, well, 
you know, we were living in Washington, D.C. at the time. And he said, well, you know, there are a lot of row homes here in D.C. And a lot of these row homes have a basement in-law suite. You know, if you play your cards right, you could live in one unit, rent out the other, and get it to be cash flow positive. And I never heard those terms before. I never had anyone in my life who had mentored me about investing, talked about investing. So I heard those words, cash flow positive, and I was immediately like, yes, I would like to know more about that, please. So we started out with a duplex, house hacking, living in one unit and renting out the other and loved it so much that we did it a few more times and then started investing out of state. And that one thing led to another and that eventually led me to get into multifamily and to co-founding Good Egg Investments with my business partner, Julie Lamb. But along the way, I do have one sort of excruciating story to share, which was, you know, one of our personal rentals, out-of-state rentals. I thought investing out-of-state would be so easy, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It it, it should be easy, right? (laughs) It's the same. It's the same thing. I've done local rentals. Surely I can do out-of-state rentals. It's the same thing. So I followed all the advice on bigger pockets, listened to all the podcasts, and found some properties to invest in. And for a few months, things were going fine. We were collecting the rent checks and units were turning over and it seemed easy. I thought, okay, we got this. Let's keep going. And then one day in in the summer, a couple years ago, I got a call from my property manager and you never, never want to get a call out of the blue from your property manager. It's never... Never a good sign. Never a good thing. They're never calling just to say, hey, how you doing? They've always right. got something for you. Right. And so my property manager called me and she said, hey, uh, you sitting down? And I'm like, uh-oh. Why? I'm, I'm fine. Just, you know, go on. Tell me what you need to tell me. And she says, you know that tenant that we were going to evict tomorrow? So we had this tenant that hadn't been paying for about six months. And we were finally, you know, I I finally had to pull the trigger and we were going to evict her. The sheriff was going to show up the next day. So she said, well, you know that tenant? Well, she's gone. But before she left, she stopped up all the tubs and the sinks in her unit and she left the water running. And she flooded not only her unit, but the one next door to that and the one next door to that. Why would anybody do something like this? It's, it's, you know, it's beyond me. Why would you do something like this? I, Unless something is wrong with you. Right, right. I mean, it's... Uh, I get it when people are angry about being evicted. I I mean, they're backed into a corner. They feel like they need to get revenge in some way. You know, it was just something we had never dealt with before because we had mostly done house hacking. And with house hacking, you know, your tenants are living in the same house that you're living in. So your tenants tend to be similar people to you. They have jobs, Mm -hmm. they pay on time, they tell you when things need to be fixed. But with these out-of-state rentals in developing areas, it was very, very different. People didn't have steady jobs. They were paying in cash. They were paying late. And in this case, they were vandalizing the property. And so really, this was our first experience with that. And these three units were offline for a good 
few months there as they were drying out, as I learned about that whole process, because they have to dry out before you can even start to do the renovations and fix them up, and then you have to rent them out. And this wasn't a market like, you know, the San Francisco Bay Area where I'm living, where, you know, units get snapped up left and right mm -hmm. before you even post them. This is like... Even if it's wet. Right. People, right you can still find people to get... <laughs> to rent it out. <laughs> so true. But this is, you know, this is in Alabama. So people are, you know, you post it and you sit and you wait, you get a few calls, people come in, maybe they're not qualified. So it took a while to get those, those units back online. Wow. Wow. W what a story. I mean, out-of-state investing is, uh, is, could be challenging, if, especially if you don't have the right team in place. But sometimes, even if you do, there are some things that are beyond your control. But I heard it many times, live where you want invest where it makes sense. So mm -hmm. it makes sense to invest in those markets. It's just part of the deal. Well, great story. Thank you for sharing that with us. I mean, it wasn't great, I'm assuming when it happened, but it's uh, what would you say is the, the one thing that your main takeaway from that experience? Oh my gosh. So I have so many lessons I've learned from that, but I think the one takeaway was not such so much a lesson to me about how to manage properties or how to find better tenants. But for me, it was more about, it made me realize that at this point in my life with young kids in, in the house and all these things that I'm trying to do on a daily basis, that investing out of state in rental properties is not maybe not the best fit right now for us. And a better fit for us personally is investing passively in mm. these real estate syndications, which is has been what we have focused on since then. Got it. Got it. And that's actually a good segue to or for the first part of APS of real estate. So uh, I want to dive in into the asset class. So what are the, and you mentioned that you're investing in multifamily. What type of multifamily properties do you invest in? Yeah. So we predominantly invest in B and C class value add multifamily. So that means properties that need a little love, you mm -hmm. know, that don't come perfect. Maybe the kitchens haven't been updated in five or 10 years and mm -hmm. the floors are falling apart and the pool area looks pretty sad. <laughs> so we like those <laughs> yeah. kinds of properties as I know you do as well. Absolutely. Um, where there's value to be added because it's a win for everyone. It's a win for the syndicators because right. there's value to be added. There's a business plan to be able to put into place. There's potential to add additional equity to the asset. It's a win for the passive investors because they get those great returns and the tax benefits. And it's a win for the communities because we are, we are helping to improve these communities. And I, I've talked to tenants who've lived in these communities and they are just so happy and proud of mm -hmm. their communities when they see that they're turning over and they're improving. Right. That's absolutely right. Now, I hear a lot of passive investors and syndicators talking about where we are in a cycle right now and, you know, talking about 
how the value add play maybe has changed over the years. And as we're, you know, it's a very, very long cycle. And I always say, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. Nobody does. We don't know what's going to happen. I think a lot of people thought that two years ago and three years ago that recession is going to hit by, by then. And it didn't, especially with the, with the feds, you know, keeping the interest rates, you know, low, at least as of now, it's July 30th, 2019. And so, when it comes to value add, what are your thoughts, you know, when it comes to multifamily specifically, what are your thoughts about investing in that asset class, especially where we are in the cycle right now? Mm-hmm. So I know some people are hesitant maybe, or they're more careful to invest, you know, and they pick and choose their deals very carefully, especially where we are in a cycle. Yeah. Yeah. It's always good to be mindful of where we are in the cycle. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, people thought a few years ago we were at the top Hmm. of the market. And I know people who, because of that, they have been sitting out for the Mm -hmm. last two or three years and they've been missing out on all this great growth. And so it's really hard to time the market. And that's why we don't, we don't try. What we do is we have our criteria, um, regardless of where we are in the, in the market cycle. And we have our standards that we underwrite to and certain types of assets, certain markets that we're looking in. And we're always looking in those growing markets. Because here's the thing is people say, oh, we're at the top of the market. And that means it's the same everywhere, right? No matter if you're in a small town in Mm -hmm. Iowa or you're in San Francisco or New York City, it's the same. If it's going to crash, it's going to crash the same everywhere. And it's just not true. Exactly. If you you look in the last recession, there were markets that crashed significantly. And there were others that grew right through that recession and they didn't see any downturn. And so for us, it's a matter of really staying on top of the data, looking at the markets and really finding um, the great growing markets. And then within those markets, finding those assets where we have a lot of value add. So we have that backup plan. We have that buffer in case something happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's exactly, you know, what I do as well. I'm looking into the markets and I'm trying to make an educated, you know, assumptions on which market is going to get hit the least or not get hit by recession. That's one of the reasons why I think like you, I'm staying away from core markets. You know, you live in San Francisco, I live in Santa Monica, best places in the world to live in, but I I don't buy anything here. Because Mm -hmm. we're both value add and cash flow buyers. We need the the deals to cash flow from day one or very soon. And in the markets we live in right now with multifamily, the cap rates are so compressed. Mm -hmm. And that means, you know, I have here buildings in the 40s. I remember every once in a while, I look at at an opportunity here just for my own entertainment. And exactly. And I, and I saw a building that was built in the 40s with um, some restrictions on it. Mm-hmm. I think it was some several Section 8s there. And it was $850,000 per door. What? Which, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in Atlanta, in, you know, in Florida, in Texas, in Georgia, we're buying them at seventy to maybe $150,000 per door. And yeah. they were not built in the 40s. And there are no restrictions on them. 
So oh my that's a play with, with multifamily. You need to know yeah. where to buy. Yeah. I once went to this real estate investing class for beginners. It was like rental mm -hmm. properties for beginners class. And I went to check it out to see you know, what they were teaching people. And at the end of the class, they went through a sample rental property analysis to see, like, would this rental property make sense? And they were looking at a property, I think it was a single family home in San Francisco. And when all was said and done, you look at all the, the line items and the bottom, the net was a loss of $17,000 a year. And now, get this, that's not all. That's not all. Because then the teacher said, because these, these are all people who live in the San Francisco Bay Area. So then the teacher said, would this be a good investment? She opened it up to the class. And my immediate thought was, heck no, you're losing $17,000 a year. There's so much risk in that. Like, why would you take on something like that? You need something that cash flows. And because they're beginners and, and the teacher sort of could see it both ways, the class as a whole decided that, in fact, yes, it would be a good investment because the appreciation would trump those short-term losses. And I'm sitting over here like pulling my hair out. I'm trying <laughs> to explain to people like, no, there's better ways. There's better ways to invest your money. And I think... That's why we got into this is, you know, we live in these expensive markets, but we see all the potential in mm -hmm. these other markets. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it might be a good strategy for someone who's who's not concerned about cash flow, who needs to park their, their money. And that's why we have a lot of money coming in, you know, from outside of, you know, the country because they, they're getting half a percent or whatever it is over there. They want to protect their money. It's a different type of an investor. So yes, that might be good for them. Right. I'm more conservative. I want to see money coming in. My tenants are paying every month. I want a cut of it. I want to have yeah. part of it every month going into my bank account so I can see it. I can invest it, reinvest it in other properties. So yeah, absolutely. So I want to kind of make a shift and talk about the process in your business. Mm -hmm. So, you know, talk to me about it. You know, one of the things that you do really well is automating processes. And I'm a huge fan of automation. I know you are. Yes. So, you know, tell me about it. How you, you know, what processes have you discovered that you can actually use the power of automation to improve your business and scale? Because that's something that I'm extremely interested in. Yeah. Yeah. So, one tool that we use religiously in our business is Active Campaign. It's an email provider, um, like sort of like MailChimp, but a little more powerful in that it can do these visual automations, which are sort of like if you think of a flow chart, you know, if this happens, then do this. And then if that happens, do this. Mm -hmm. And so what we've done is basically over the first, I would say, several months of our business, we didn't automate anything. Every time an email would come in, we'd start from scratch and we'd write an email out and we'd send it out. And um, we were just getting buried. We were treading water and we were so busy and we were getting nowhere. And so then we thought, okay, there's got to be a better way. Let's take a look at the things that we are doing over and over again and see if there's a better way to do that. And so we started to look at things like our investor emails, our deal alert emails that we were sending out every time we had a new investment opportunity. Um, the flow of that is very much the same from deal to deal. Mm -hmm. The emails that we were sending out every time somebody signed up for our Good Egg Investor Club, 
but that we turned into a drip campaign. So I think it was really the realization for us that we were doing all these things over and over again, and there was a better way. Um, it took us a while, but we got to a point where we started to see these patterns, and then we started to think critically about okay, how can we take these things and either hire somebody to do them or find a way to automate them so that we don't have to do them from scratch every time. Mm -hmm. And so Active Campaign has been a big part of a lot of our automations, especially for emails. And it's taken a lot of the work, the repetitive work off of our plates so we can focus on what's most important in our business. Yeah, and I'm wondering, as you're speaking, I was thinking, what should come first? Should you start your business and set all the automation processes in advance so you can scale right away? Or should you let yourself, you know, give yourself some time to do it manually so you can actually learn what exactly is it that you need to automate? Because you might not know when you're just starting out, right? Right. That's such a good point is that when you're starting out and you haven't done it, you're thinking theoretically about what you can automate. And I think there's certain things you can automate right off the bat. Like, you know, if you have an investor club or some list that people are signing up for, you can probably automate the emails that go out after that to remind people of something or to check up. For example, we have this free email course. And then once they sign up for that free email course, after a certain period of days, we check in our automation, we check to see if they've signed up for our Good Egg Investor Club. And if they haven't, then we'll send them a reminder, hey, you might want to do this if you're interested in investing mm -hmm. with us. And then again, we'll check a few days later. And so those things we don't have to have on our calendars. We don't have to think about. We don't have to remind ourselves to invest or to ask people. So things like that, I think you can probably think through and set up from the beginning and then just iterate on those, I would say, as you go, as you're working through and you're getting feedback from people and your own processes and your business is changing, then you can change those automations as well. That's a really good point. So it's kind of a hybrid where you create the uh, the foundation and you create that that chart. And then based on that, you keep iterating and, and improving that. That's a really good point. And it's automation is so powerful because it gives you, it, it speeds the process and it gives you, it frees up your time, not only to do more in the time that it took you, you know, to do one or two, you know, assignments, but it also gives you some free time to spend with people that you love, you know, spend on your hobbies. Cause it's not all about work, work, work. It's about smart work. It's not about, you know, how many hours you work. You can work 15 hours a day and not being good at what you do and do less than if you do, if you work five hours a day or six or, or three hours a day, but you have all those automation processes that can actually help you get to the next level and do a lot in a shorter period of time. And that's the key. Yes, yes, that is such an important message. And I'm going to say that again, because I know there, I need to hear it and other people need to hear it. It's not about how many hours you work. It's about what you do with that time. And it's a lesson that I have been learning and still am learning because I get mm -hmm. caught in these cycles where I'm like, oh, I got to do this, this and this. And then at a certain point, I realize wait, that's not that important to the business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I think at certain points, you have to build in those checkpoints and look at what you're doing to make sure that it's actually effective for the business. 
Yeah, it's definitely a continuing, it's a learning process that yes. I'm still learning it as well as mm -hmm. I go. So let's uh, let's move to the last part of our interview and talk about the strategy. Um, and I know you have a very interesting strategy when it comes to growing your business and investing in multifamily properties. Can you kind of walk us through the thought process behind your strategy and how, how do you do what you do? Sure. So when I first got into multifamily syndication, I thought done a four unit property, I could I could do a 40 unit syndication. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. It's it'll be so easy. And I invested in some training, went to some conferences, and I thought I could do this. So I started down that path of trying to do everything myself. And I quickly realized between the acquisitions, the underwriting, the broker relationships, the inspections, the uh, all the contingencies, and then raising the capital, and mm -hmm. then coming up with the business plan, the asset management, there was just so much to do. And I really had to take a hard look at all of those things and figure out what it was that I was most passionate about. And it was only through trying it out. Um, I was partner. I partnered with somebody else on their deal to raise capital, which I initially thought was going to be the worst part of the whole thing. And I decided to take a chance and try it out. And I realized that that was the part that I loved the most. And you mentioned, you know, in my bio that prior to this, I was in the field of education in instructional design. And that is a huge passion of mine is helping people to understand how to do something and mm -hmm. learn something new. And that's what raising capital is all about. And so for us in our business, Good Egg Investments has really grown around teaching people about how this whole thing works, this black box of real estate syndications and passive investing, what's inside that black box, how it works, whether it's right for you, and then helping to connect people with these great opportunities. I think, you know, it's taken me a lot of time to figure out that that's the niche that I want to focus on because that's where my passion lies is in helping investors. That's awesome. And I think you're absolutely right. This is the part that I enjoyed the most, talking with investors and interacting with them. And so if somebody wants to adopt the strategy that you have been utilizing in your business and, and kind of start raising money, raising capital and be involved on that side of multifamily investing, what do you recommend would be the first few steps if they're just starting? Oh, that's such a great question. I would say the best, by far the best first step, if you have the resources to do it, is to invest passively yourself. As a passive investor, you will learn so much about mm -hmm. how a deal is run. And because you are an investor, you get access to the sponsors, those syndicators, and you can ask them questions. You can go to the investor webinar, which, man, the first investor webinar I went to, I took pages and pages of notes. I learned so much, not just from what they were telling me about the deal, but from all the questions that the other investors were asking. And I learned so much about how 
what investors were thinking about and how I should be thinking about the deal. And if I were to syndicate a deal, what investors would be looking for and the holes that they would try to poke in the deal. And Mm -hmm. being a passive investor, being on that side of the table has made me much stronger as a capital raiser and a syndicator. So I would say that for anybody who wants to raise capital, if you can, I would invest passively in a deal first. That's a great point. And, and I've seen it before many, many times. People who started as passive investors, they didn't even think about becoming syndicators themselves, but then they got involved in so many deals. They learned so much and they've been telling their friends and family about the investments they've been, you know, doing. And, uh, that was kind of the natural progression of, of their career. And then some of them, you know, quit their jobs and mm-hmm. that's what they do full time. So that's for sure. That's one of the best ways of actually starting in syndicating, you know, becoming syndicators and making the first steps. Cause mm-hmm. at first it can be very overwhelming. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, Annie, thank you so, so much for being on the show today. Before we say goodbye, my last question to you is where can our listeners find you if they want to yes. get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. The best place to learn more about us is through our website, goodegginvestments.com. And if any of your listeners want to reach out to me directly, I'm available anytime. You can find me at Annie at goodegginvestments.com. All right. Perfect, Annie. Thank you so much again. And we'll be in touch soon. Thank you so much, Ellie. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.